Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. All right. All right. So tonight, what we're going to be talking about is going to be called Redemption is Greater Than Creation. Redemption is Greater Than Creation. Now, when I say that, I've prayed before the Lord and I've asked him, like, Lord, I'm by no means trying to down anything that you have done. But what I'm saying is, too, is you guys ever ask yourself why, if God is all knowing, that he allowed some things to happen as they do, or that even though he made Adam and Eve perfect, which we're going to talk about the creation tonight, but if he knew that they were going to fall, why go through the trouble in even creating them? You know, and we know that God does everything, but he makes everything with a free will. Everyone has a free will, whether or not they want to serve the Lord. But I was talking to my brother James uh, last week. We were talking about this before the Lord gave me this teaching. And I said, you know, had we not fallen, would we have known the true love of God? And the answer to that would be no. Because it's just like if you were to take any father and, and mother and they might have a child. Now, in the beginning, everybody's excited about the newborn, you know? He smells nice or she and, you know, nice and clean. And, you know, honey, you and I made this, you know, and all that. But you don't know that which you made is going to grow up one day and disrespect you and disobey you and break your heart many, many times, you know, they're because they have a free will to do so. But are you just going to kick them to the curb and you're just going to say, you know what? That's it. I'm done with you. Move on. Or will that child experience even more of your love for as many times as you had to forgive them, as many times as you saw them go and hit rock bottom, that you were there to help build them up, that they could be made right? So that's what tonight's teaching is going to be about. Redemption is greater than creation because, you know, that's not something that every parent shares. Some parents have kids and regret having their children. Some parents may love the kid while he's young, but then when they find out it's more responsibility than it's worth, man, I don't want nothing to do with them. Let them do what they want so I can go on and enjoy my life. So when you look at that, you know, that really tells you in many ways, creating something or, or the ability to create is an amazing thing, but is it anywhere near as good as redeeming? It's just like this pair of shoes I have. When they wear out and they get old, I'm not going to go in there and try and figure out how shoes are made and try and patch them up and, you know, put stuff in them to make them smell good and make them like new. I'm tossing them in the trash and I'm going to go out and get a new pair. But thank God that that's not the heart that he has. Thank God that no matter what we've been through, no matter what we've done, that our God can be there for us. And his whole design was for us to know him, not just as a creator but as a redeemer. So that's interesting. That's amazing to think about because a lot of us don't have redemption in our hearts, but that's the same kind of heart that God has towards his church. That's the kind of heart that Jesus had towards you and I. 
That's the kind of heart that a husband should have for his wife and a wife for her husband. That's the way that God demands us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So you see, this is why we're gonna be focusing on redemption tonight, but what we're also gonna do is go through the story of the creation. Because, you know, hey, I mean, can I repeat what God actually made? We can continue the process and what's written in us. But I mean, when you look at our fingers, man, you look at, we have 24 ribs and how the heart has four valves and it pumps all by itself. And your mind, you can think abstract to, you know, your surrounding environment. I mean, we are a work of art. I mean, we're nothing compared to the original creation, but that's why Jesus said he came back to bring what was lost. And that's so important that we get a grasp on this and we really grip this about, yes, he's an amazing creator. Everything that he made, I mean, we stand in awe of, and we probably got 20% of what God actually created. You think this is beautiful? You should have seen the earth before the flood. You should have seen the earth before man had sinned and fell. That's something to think about. But Jesus Christ said that he came back to, to, uh, to give back that which was taken away. And that's why when people try and talk to me about the Sabbath day and they wanna to talk to me about the old Mosaic law, I got a teaching coming up on the original creation because when you look at the original creation, why didn't God tell Adam and Eve the stuff that he told Moses? Because there was no need to, because the original creation was made in the image and likeness of God, that they were only meant by nature to obey and glorify God. So when people try and bring you all this other stuff about what you need to do as a Christian and how you need to keep the Old Testament, why wasn't the Old Testament a part of the original creation? Because it had no place for it. The law was not made for a righteous man. And what you see with Adam and Eve is they were righteous. So what does Jesus Christ come to do? Redeem man, give us his spirit, that we can be the original creation that we first were. Now, yeah, we're all subject to death. We're gonna die one day. That's all a part of the plan now. But you see, that wasn't a part of God's original plan. So when you look at creation, it's an awesome thing. But what if God had no plan B? Man, that means we get to watch our lives tick away with no, no uh, solution at hand. That would have been a tragic story for man, but thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God for what he was able to come into the earth and do. Yes, he is the creator because the Bible tells us that, but he is also a redeemer. So tonight we're gonna to talk about redemption and what that means. So I don't wanna run my mouth. I wanna get into the word of God, but I want to actually go over what it means to redeem. Because you see, God loves us in three ways. God loves us sacrificially, God loves us redemptively, and God loves us unconditionally. The Bible makes clear that there was nothing that we could have done to receive what God wanted to give us other than the fact that he saw that we were in need and he extended his love. That allows him to love us unconditionally. To love us sacrificially is even when we fell, he didn't just love us from heaven. He didn't just love us from the place of Man, that sure is pitiful. I love him, but there's nothing I can do. No, God became a man and went into the earth and suffered every temptation that man had suffered yet without sin. And he bore our sin on that cross. Though they were pulling his skin off, though they were spitting on him and calling him every name in the book, 
He thought about you and I. That's the goodness of him. So he loves us sacrificially, but redemptively because he showed us how to do it. And when he went back to the Father, he sent the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, that could make man right, that we can once again bear the image of Jesus Christ. So let's look at these definitions real quick, and then we'll get into prayer and get right into the word. Well, thank you, Jesus, because I don't think we thank him enough for the things that he has done for you and I. So let's look at uh, sacrificially. That word is, I mean, this isn't, uh, this is just Webster's, and it says pertaining, pertaining to or concerned with sacrifice. So you see, our God was willing to do something about it and, and bring himself into the mix other than just to let us stay as we are. Redemptive. That means acting to save someone from error or evil. So like I said, he wasn't just a bystander. He had to commit an act in the world to get you and I to have everlasting life. And you know, unconditionally is without conditions. I heard a pastor say once that when he and his wife married, they were very much in love and they had a list of things that they had written down as to why they love each other. But as they grew and after, you know, years went by, they took their list and they threw it away because they recognized that if you have reasons as to why you love anybody, then when those conditions, I mean, when you have reasons, that brings about conditions. And when those conditions are not met, then that means that the love will go out the window, too. But you see, they learned that they loved each other for absolutely no reason. That's closer to the heart of God than anything that you and I can cook up in our minds. So, you know, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Redemption is greater than creation. Redemption is greater than creation. All right. So let's pray and we'll get right into this lesson. Hey, Uncle O, and, you know, Sister Sarah's here. So let's pray and get right in. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for another day another day not promised to us. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time, Lord, that you've given me with my brothers and sisters that we have yet another day to be partakers in your word, to be edified by your spirit, Lord, that we may choose life and not death. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you send the Holy Ghost, the spirit of teaching, the great comforter, the one that would bring us into all truth and righteousness and the one Lord that you sent that we may be made in your image and likeness. I pray in Jesus name, Lord, let no man's heart be heard tonight. Let no flesh be glorified, but only you, Lord, that you may get the glory that we don't utter words that don't come from you. For we place no confidence in the flesh, Lord. We know that if we have you, we have everything that we need. So I pray, Lord, that you open the eyes, that you open the ears, that you open the minds, you open the hearts, that they may receive your truth, Lord, that they may choose you, our only true refuge and our Lord and Savior. And in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind the devil, that you keep him at bay, Lord, that you allow your saints, Lord, to hear your word and to do all that you call. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. 
You are faithful, just, and true, and worthy of all praises. We pray, Lord, and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's get right in. Let's go to Genesis chapter one. We're gonna begin at Genesis chapter one as we talk about the creation. No matter of fact, sorry guys, uh, Psalm 19. Let's go to Psalm 19 first. And if you're at, you're at Genesis one, you can just hold it there. And again, guys, you know, this is open. Those who've been here already, if you got any questions, or even if something comment you wanna make, or even if I'm wrong, you guys can make the correction. That's what we're here for as brothers and sisters, to be edified to learn of God's word and to have all things the way that God wants them to be. So look at uh, Psalm 19 and let's begin at verse one. And it says to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament sheweth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night sheweth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their uh, voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world in them that have set a tabernacle for the sun. So this is another word speaking of the very fact that in God's creation, God had placed laws upon all of creation. That's why if you look at trees, trees will actually go out, you know, during certain seasons and they'll come back. Some are evergreen. You know, you've even got, you know, 12 parts day, 12 parts night. Everything that is created by God has a specific law to carry out the functions that God wants it to. You know, the only one that doesn't today? Man, you guessed it. All right, so let's look at verse five, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoicing as a strong man to run a race. So you guys see the sun, it never goes around without fail. There's no day that you can say, you know what? The sun didn't actually come up today. Usually there's clouds covering it or in a different season, it may move in a different place, but the bottom line is the sun performs its function. So it says, um, I believe in verse six, it says his going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So one thing we know about God is his law is right, okay? I'm not speaking of old Mosaic law or the law of the spirit. I'm speaking of God's law in general. God is right, he cannot be wrong. This is something that man has gotten away from that we need to get back to. Just because you don't understand the purpose and why God does a thing does not mean in any way that God acts wrongly. God is right and cannot be wrong. That's something that all of his creation knows and that's something that man has to learn again. That's what the word of God shows us. When we read this Bible and we see things about ourselves that are not right, that's God making the corrections that we can be in God's image and likeness. So it says he makes wise the sample. Verse eight says, the statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So as I said before, a lot of people may not understand God's hatred towards certain sin. Well, we've never been holy, so we don't understand God. The Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. As far as the heaven is from the earth, so are the ways of God against our ways, okay? So it's not a fact that we need God to come down to our level. God calls his creation to come up higher because after all, when he made us, we were good, okay? So let's look at verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, uh, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? So in other words, God doesn't make any errors. So that would be, you know, foolish to try and understand the errors of God. He doesn't have any. It says, cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. That word for presumptuous is H2086. And that word means, you know, away from arrogance or pride or insolence, okay? Because a lot of people, you know, all sins are committed simply due to pride. That's what sells us on to do the things aside from God. It's just like you wouldn't be foolish enough to hold your breath for as long as you can and not breathe and think that you're going to live without it. That's what God is to the man, to man. Okay, if we don't obey God, it's almost like the breath being taken right out of your lungs. So just how as important it is for you to eat and to drink and to breathe, this is how important it is that we obey God, because after all, he is our creator. All right. So I just wanted to bring that point. And another thing about redemption, guys, is when God decides to work with you, it's funny how we stop fornicating, we stop lying, we stop doing, you know, the sins that are pretty obvious. But then as we grow with the Lord, he begins to take you into other levels of understanding and sanctification, not just the fact that you didn't do it. What were you thinking about that even brought you to, to want to do it? So you see, you've even got to repent of thoughts over time. Now, what I'm saying may seem hard because, you know, this is not being taught in a lot of places, but this is a nature, okay? You realize that when you come into this world, you don't know of a whole lot of sin except that which the world teaches you and that which we pick up in our genetics. But you see, we learn to be bad. We learn to think the way that the world thinks. We learn to sin. But before that point, we're innocent. We don't know what that stuff is. So we've been doing wrong for a long time is why this may seem, man, how can I correct my thoughts? You can't. But you see, the more time you spend with the Lord, the more sanctification takes place and the more you will think like him. That's what this whole thing is about. You can't try to do this. You've got to die to self so that Jesus Christ can live in you. Mm -hmm. So he says, keep back thy servant. Also from presumptuous sins, let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. What's the great transgression? We're going to read about that. Go ahead, Sarah. Willful sin, but it's also what Adam did. That's what we're going to be reading about in a little bit. And then it says in verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in the sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's one thing our God is. He is our strength. And the only reason 
Well, we've been allowed to do the things that we can do now, even though we haven't given God everything, is because you and I live in a very privileged period called grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You and I do not deserve this time period. But this is the love of God that he allows grace to be able to change us and make us more like him. Thank God for Jesus, because some people think grace is a license to sin. No, grace is a time period that while we're going through the process of sin, he's making us more and more like him. So, you know, when you get up in the mornings, man, thank God for his grace. Have an understanding of what that is. Because you see, some of the things that we have done are more than enough to qualify you and I for hell. If we were under the old covenant, we would have been stoned. All right, no questions asked. Everybody saw you do it, you know, and this is what's gonna go down. But thank God for his grace. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Thank God, although we're not where we may wanna be yet, but we're miles away from where we were. We take a lot for granted down here, but we don't know that each day is not promised to us. I could be sitting right here, bullet could crash through the window and hit me and I go right into eternity. Hopefully I know the Lord. And I'm not trying to bring fear upon people. I'm trying to tell you that our lives, as the Bible says, it's a vapor. It's a bubble on water. We really don't know how fragile life is, especially in the last days that we're coming into. So thank God for Jesus Christ, because you see, he makes all things new. He's enabled us that we can smile at death. We can laugh at death. We can ask death like in 1 Corinthians 15, oh, death, where is your sting? You can't kill a man that's already dead to self and alive to Christ. That's what this whole thing is about. That's why we should understand the joy of redemption. How much more important it is than creation? Because he created us and guess what? We messed it up, okay? But thank God that we have a redeemer. A redeemer is essential to the lives of man, okay? So let's look at Genesis 1, guys. We're gonna start at verse one. Genesis 1, let's look at verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So as you can understand, God created the heavens and the earth. The Father wanted it. Jesus Christ spoke it, and the Holy Ghost moved and took care of it. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. You want to know what's amazing about this? That we had day and night before there was even a sun. That goes to show you that God is the source of all that is. You see, these are things that scientists and all these people can't understand. You know why? Because they're living in this temporal life you know, in seeing what already is. But you see, they know that God is the source of life. So God could create day and night. Oh, bless the Lord, praise the Lord. Anyway, look at verse five. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. 
So a lot of people got their theories. You know what? I believe the word of God. We're not going to get into that tonight because that's irrelevant. But I'm just going to tell you that I believe that this earth and the heavens were made exactly the way Genesis 1 said they were. You can't get me with your philosophy, you know, but that's what people want to bring. And what causes that? Pride. Their ability to want to be their own God, which I'm going to do in a teaching tomorrow. So he says that this firmament divided the waters from the waters. So there are waters below and there are waters above. Look at verse eight. And God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and he gathered together of the waters called he sees, and God saw that it was good. You guys want to know something interesting? Ask the Lord for revelation, but if you read Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 3, you'll find out that this has everything to do with the gospel and what Jesus Christ was about. Genesis 1 parallels perfectly with John chapter 1. Okay, the early Hebrews knew this, and they understood what this whole thing was about, that although we might have had a son in that time, you know, like in this time. But, you know, we also had Jesus Christ who came as the S-O-N and the Bible makes clear in, in uh, John 1 that he came with the light of life. He came with grace and truth. And it made clear that there was nothing made that wasn't, you know, nothing in this world made that wasn't made by him and for him. So that tells you the importance of Jesus, how even old Genesis 1 parallels with the gospel that God had always intended to do. Yes, sir. And also with verse seven, when he says that he divided the waters above and the waters below the firmament, mm -hmm. it kind of goes in line too with Genesis six mm -hmm. when he flooded the earth. Because mm -hmm. you have some people that want to say, well, "How can it just rain for forty days?" Of course, the deep broke open. Mm -hmm. If you understand that waters being above the firmament, that means when the doors opened up. Mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. Absolutely. Even in verse two, it talks about how. Oh, yeah. And even how that relates to the gospel. It's interesting because, you know, another word for waters or seas is multitudes. So there was even a point in time that even when Jesus created his church, that his spirit moved upon the multitudes. But, you know, that's you know, I get it, though. We just got to go on. But I mean, you could stay here all night talking about three verses. So it says, uh, look at verse nine. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and he gathered together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit yield a tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit uh, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let there be for lights in the firmament in the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. 
So God created this thing like a chandelier. If you even want to talk about the lights that are in the heavens, well, he said, let there be lights. What did Jesus tell you and I about being the light of the world? You know, about representing him and doing the things that he says. I know I'm getting stuck in these points, but we got to move on. So he says, look at uh, verse 16, and God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. So we understand that even before the sun and the moon were created, that even the grass and the herbs and the trees already had life. You see, so God is the source of all that is. So he says in 17, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good in the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that have life uh, and fowl uh, that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, uh, uh, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful, multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let fowl multiply in the earth. In the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. So as you can see, the way that God makes things or, or organic, you know? And this is what we must understand about Jesus Christ being our redeemer. I know I'm jumping the gun, but I don't just wanna do a lot of reading and not explaining. But you see, if he told the animals even to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and he said that every fruit or every tree or every uh, bit of earth would bring forth after his kind, then man was supposed to do the same thing. This is the original creation. And you're going to find that God never recanted that be fruitful and multiply. He just changed it to what we're supposed to do as the body of Christ. So verse 26 says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God said, let us make man in our image. Who is God talking to here? People don't believe our God is triune. This is the Son and the Holy Ghost right there with him in the beginning. So you see, man is a very special creation because he didn't say, let us make man in my image. He said, let us make man in our image. So what are we? We are body, soul, and spirit. The body is the house that you and I live in that does all the functions that we're supposed to do in this life, okay? Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's a neutral place, okay? That's just a place that he will either go with God or go against God. And then you've got the spirit, which is where the, the place that we commune with God. That is the very life within man that man was supposed to connect with his creator. 
And that's why the Bible tells us deep calls unto deep. God tells us that those who worship God must worship him in what? In, in spirit and in truth, because that is our connection. So when God made us, he made us as a complete peace, full of him to do his will. It's unfortunate today that man doesn't know anything about that third part, which is the spirit, which is why if you know not Christ and you're not born again, you're dead. You might be walking around, but you've got no connection and no purpose to why you were created. So look at verse 27, and God created man in his own image. And in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every, uh, every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth in every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for me. And to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and unto everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life. And I have given every green herb for me and it was so. So you see God's creation it fell in line with everything that he wanted. There are scientists even saying lately there's been a shortage of bees. And I heard that if all the bees were actually wiped out, just to show you how God's creation is important, if all of the bees of this world were taken out, man would only have maybe four years to survive, okay? Because the bees actually do an important job as far as pollen, as far as, you know, I don't know exactly everything they do, but the point is, is, Every living thing in this world has a purpose, okay? So anyway, he says in verse 30, to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and unto everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for me, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was not just good, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Let's go to Genesis 2 real quick. We're going to skim through this, and then we're going to get right into this lesson. Genesis 2 says in verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, uh, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day uh, from all his work, which he had made. Now, you see, if you don't understand the creation, this is why a lot of people will push you up under the Sabbath. And they'll tell you, you must keep it, because you see, this went back way at the beginning. They don't understand that God rested from his work. And Hebrews 4 explains that if you and I have the Holy Ghost, we rest from our own works. Man, this is a part of the original creation. This has nothing to do with a day. This is about, imagine doing, you know the difference between doing something by nature versus doing something with your own effort? You see how as a Christian, before you got serious about Christ, how difficult it was for you to serve him? how hard the word seemed, because it's like, man, I got to do all these right things. I got to be careful what I say. I got to put up a front in front of other people. But then when I leave church, I can go right back to the very nature I have. That's exactly how it's like. You don't have the nature. So God rested from his work simply because his work was finished. Everything was complete and nothing was lacking. If you and I have not the spirit of God today, if we're not born again, then we're going to find ourselves performing and simply not just being. 
God made them. He only gave them one commandment. Guys, I finished the work in you. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. Laws only came because of transgression. So that's something to keep in mind. So he says in verse three, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because uh, that in it, he had rested from all of his works and God created, uh, which God created and made. Uh, I wanna go down, I wanna, let's go to verse eight. And it says, so verse seven, and the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. So can you imagine the dust from the ground God was able to take and create you and I? And you got people today that don't believe this, but I've got to ask them, well, when you die, do you not turn back to dust? That ought to tell you something right there. But people do not believe in the creation. Yes, Sarah. Point on uh, verse three, where it said that God blessed the seventh day, mm -hmm. and sanctified it. Well, it's the same thing that comes to, with us. If God is able to do your work in us, and He's able to sanctify it. Absolutely. And how are we sanctified? Through the number seven, which is what the Spirit. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So it says the great point. So He, the Lord God, formed man from the dust of the earth. So you see, that's the body. He breathed unto his nostrils that word for breath is Roach. That's another word for spirit. And man became a living soul. He became a living mind, will, and emotions just from God breathing his spirit into man. I promise, guys, we're going somewhere. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant in the sight of good for food, of the tree of life and also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So, you know, I personally believe, though we're speaking of trees here, I believe one, the tree of life is Jesus Christ. And then you got the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Tomorrow in another teaching, I'm gonna actually talk about ye shall be as gods because you see the devil, you know, he didn't just bring evil. He also told them some truth and some good to get them to go. This is a tactic that the devil uses on man today. Instead of man clinging to the tree of life and saying, you know what? If I'm connected to God, that's all that matters. If God fills me and lives in me, then my life will have more purpose than it will ever have. But you see, man goes after knowledge. He goes after wisdom. He goes after his own way, his own creation. He wants to be someone contrary to God. And this is what cuts off your life source. Okay, so that's important that we understand that God made all of his creation to have a purpose. Even if you look further down, guys, we're not going to go there. But if you look at the rivers, okay, they all stand for the growth of man. You know, it's almost like God knew, well, you know, almost, he knew we were going to fall, but he also knew that he had a plan in the end. What's the first river, which is Pison? What does that mean? That means increase. That's what God wanted to give us, his increase, which is his spirit. The second river, which is uh, Jihon. Jihon means bursting forth. So not only does God want us to have his spirit, he wants us to get full. Then when you look at the third river, which is Hedekel, which is the Tigris River, that God wants us to be able to dash or dart or be rapid towards his purpose. That's what the Bible calls quickening. It's not good enough that you and I just get an increase and then we get full. You want to know your purpose in God. So what is the spirit going to do? 
He's going to push you to do the things that God wants. And then lastly is the river Euphrates, which means fruitfulness. That's what God wants for every single believer if we just cling to him and let him work in our lives. So, yeah, bro. So we should have rivers are still there right now. The Hedekel and the Euphrates, that's the Tigris and Euphrates River. So the increase and the bursting forward are gone, like it's symbolism. That's a great point too. That you know that man would eventually get dry. It's almost like there was a fall. But there are scientists that can tell you through ground penetrating radar, those two rivers are still there. They're still there. They're just covered up, you know. But that's a great point that, that Martin just brought up. So anyway, I want to skip down. Let's get down to man. This is what we're going to be discussing tonight. So I want to get down to uh, Adam. Uh, let's look at verse 19. It says, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So Adam was supposed to be like a little God on earth, the son of God. Look at verse 20. And Adam gave names to the cattle and to the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found in help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. So you got to understand that what Adam saw in Eve is what God sees in you and I. God wants us to be bone of his bones. God is not flesh. But the point I'm making is, is that God wanted Adam to be an extension of himself. And that's what Eve became, was an extension of Adam. This is the way that God allows us to be fruitful and to grow. And as you can see, the devil's, the devil's done an amazing job trying to corrupt that, telling you two men can marry, two women can marry. The devil hates the creation of God. And that's why for those who are in that lifestyle and doing these things contrary to God, the things that you and I have done in sin, we've got to understand that the devil's plan is to destroy the creation. He wants to destroy the image. And if we get a grip on what Jesus or God is telling us in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, we can truly understand everything makes sense. Why we are foreign to God is because we wouldn't listen. But anyway, let me just go. So he says in verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. You know why? Because they had upright natures. Now we're going to move to Genesis 3. We're going to skim a little through this. And then we're going to get right into this lesson on redemption is greater than creation. So there was nothing wrong. Everything was right. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, have God said that ye shall not eat of the tree of, the, of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said that ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. But God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. 
So was the devil actually lying? What do you guys think? What's true? Mm -hmm. He was. The devil gave them some truth, but he lied on God saying that God doth know that you will not die. That was the only lie that he told. But when he said your eyes will be open and you shall be as gods, he had some truth mixed in with that lie. You see, before this point, man was not subject to death. He was immortal, just like God. He was meant to live and to continue just like God. So yeah, he told them they would be as gods. And you know what I'm finding out, we're gonna talk about this in tomorrow's teaching, but every emperor and dictator or so-called important man that was against God in history, all of them believed that they were gods. Alexander the Great will tell you, I'm a son of Zeus. The Caesars thought they were gods. The Pharaohs thought they were gods. There's a lot of people today that think they come from a godly bloodline, but really what it is, it's fallen man and his pride. So this is important to understand because this lie went a long way that you will think that you're gods. This is why you've got the new age religion telling people, I am God. I recognize me and myself through God consciousness, I can do whatever I want, but we gotta understand doing whatever you want is not necessarily a good thing because if we didn't create ourselves, we have no idea how this creation is supposed to work. And we don't even know that to this day. Doctors are trying to do medical and try and figure out things about the body that God had already programmed and he knew. And that's why you can look at elders like Dick and Marge, they're in their 90s and they're still going out, casting out demons, full of the spirit doing what God says. You know why? Because they have the spirit of God all inside of them and God will give them the strength to continue. So you see, that's why I've even learned, look at Henry Groover. Look at all the, look at Pastor Price dancing on TV and, you know, just so animated about what he believes. Man's in his 60s. But you see, God can preserve your life to do his will when you have his spirit. I mean, Paul wasn't a young man when he died. And look at all he suffered. Look at all he went through for the sake of God. So you see, when we cut off God, we cut off our source of life. So verse six says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So Adam was there. He was not off chopping trees or doing anything else. He was present. I think Adam even had a problem too that the Bible didn't speak about. I think Adam loved his wife more than he loved God. And this is why this is going to teach us something about redemption, because you see, Adam couldn't make or, or um, destroy Eve. So, you know, who was he to put their fate in his hands to just do what his wife said that wasn't the original creation? You're going to find this even too today, where a lot of marriages and homes are upside down. Do I love women of God? Absolutely. But I also know, too, that there are a lot of things out of whack today. Men can't be men and serve the Lord because they are afraid of their wives or other things. Things have got to go back in God's original plan and his order to get a grasp of who God is. I mean, you know, and, and an obedient wife to her husband knows this because you know what? The same way she reverences her husband is the same way she has an understanding of God just by looking at him. I'm not saying every husband. You got some no good men out there, but I'm bringing forth the point 
that if we go in according to the way that God wants us to function, it gives you a better understanding of God. I don't have children of my own, but where I work in the education system, there were some bad kids, man. But you know that God has brought me around them to teach me patience. And you know something? In seeing them, God told me a lot about myself and it taught me to understand him a little bit better. I mean, these kids will get on your nerves. They'll bring you to the place of saying, you know what? I'm just ready to take off my belt and really let these guys have it. But you know what? God didn't do that to you and I. You see what I'm saying? He may spank your butt at certain points, but God is long suffering. God is grace. You see, and there is a lot of strength in long suffering and gentleness. That's what he's teaching me. You know, I can't whip these kids because they're not mine. But you know what? That gets to a point where I no longer want to. You see what I'm saying? Because I understand there's a deeper problem there. These kids need Christ. These kids need to know who their creator is so that they can fall in line with what God wants. And not only do the kids need to know it, their parents need to know it so that they can have God in the home and have everything fruitful the way that God calls them to. So anyway, he says the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now they were naked all this time, but now they're conscious of, you know, what they look like. You see, before they were God conscious, all they knew was God. But you see how sin itself and disobedience to God makes you self-conscious. The Bible tells us at the end of time that, you know, perilous times, dangerous times would come because men would be lovers of their own selves. This is why you got people taking two million selfies. This is why people take marriage for a joke. I'm with you today, but in case something better comes along, I'm going to get out, I'm, you know. I'm gonna leave at least one foot out. I'm gonna sign a prenup so if things don't work out, I can leave. But you see, they misunderstand God because you see, God wasn't so happy being married to you and I either. Trust me, God didn't wanna marry a whore. He had a bride right here that was supposed to be good. But you know, every time he turned around, you and I went back to the whorehouse. And every now and then he's got to chase us from looking in the window and desiring some of the things in there. But you see, that's the heart of God. You know, that he wants us to be right. I'm not trying to be funny tonight. I'm just, you know, making some points here. But anyway, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among uh, the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord said, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I, because I was naked and I hid myself. So you understand here that there's a disconnect. This is what sin does. Sin places a veil between you and God because God can't be associated with that which is unrighteous. For his name's sake, God cannot be a sinner for you and I. That's something to think about. And that's why we have grace to get in line with him. So he says in verse 11, and he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Has thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said to the woman, oh, and the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So as you can see, Adam went from the ruler of the earth under God to a two-bit punk. 
that he went to the place of not only following his wife, but blaming God for giving him this woman. Lord, I was all right. Why did you have to make me fall asleep? And then she came, you know, but God knew Adam's heart. He knew he was lonely. But you see, we can't love the things that God gives us more than God. That keeps things healthy. But you see, Adam is a straight up punk here, ready to sell his wife up the river so that he can be in good standing with God. But he's blaming God. This is fallen man. He won't be accountable for that which he does. And that's why the Bible tells us that we confess our sins. God is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But at this time, who is Adam thinking about? Self. I want self to take care of this matter. I got to worry about me. So anyway, <laughs> this is fallen man as you know it. So anyway, he says, uh, verse, what is it? 13, thank you. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. So nobody's responsible here. According to Eve, she was tied down and the devil shoved the fruit into her mouth. But you see, he enticed her and she bought the lie. We gotta know that God is right. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. So God knew that this would be no quick fix. He knew from this point on that the serpent would have a seed. This is very telling for us because you see, whomever we obey, that's your God. You can say that God is my father and Jesus Christ is my Lord, but whomever you obey is your God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So let's stop fantasizing about who God is to us and understand that God's sons and daughters are obedient because he knew through the bloodstream, since Adam is now corrupted because they obeyed the serpent, that from this would stem a total different group of people, ones that he had never made. I mean, you may as well call these aliens right now because this is foreign to the original creation. And this is fallen man today. He knows not God. And the very thought of God, if his heart's not right and open to receive him, hates the very thought that he has a creator. This is what we're dealing with today. This is why husbands can be saved and wives can be unsaved. This is why mothers can be saved and children are not saved. This is why a brother can be saved and a sister can be unsaved. Because God knew that there would be the serpent seed and the woman seed that would spring forth from this. And if you go down the line, Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, Isaac and Ishmael, Adam and Jesus. You know, it seems like the wicked one always comes out first, you know, <laughs> but that's just a sign too. You know, like the oldest is always a troublemaker, huh? But <laughs> hey, this is being recorded. This is. But yeah, you know, but it's just so funny how that, you know, because of this, there were two different seeds. So this is the creation of the enemy. But God didn't sweat. God didn't say, well, I may as well destroy everything. God had a plan. 
And this is where redemption comes in. Thank God, man, because this is a, a lost cause. Can you imagine the shame that fell on Adam and Eve, man, when they realized the serpent was lying to me? They had it made in the shade where you and I got to pray and fast to hear God's voice. God came to see them personally, okay? They had something even greater than the apostles had, even though when God called them, they did come. But Adam and Eve, before this point, they knew no sin. You and I can't even fathom that today. Can you imagine where they were with God? I don't even know what Adam and Eve's IQ could have been. I mean, they could have been brilliant. And you know what? They were never, you know, born out of any womb. They were created by God. And this is an awesome thing to even fathom, to think about. Yes, Sarah? And even at that time when God came to them, he came with his, you know, heavenly body. Mm -hmm. And he could. He because mm -hmm. they were so perfect in the likeness. Amen. Can you imagine being as free as Jesus in the bosom of the Father, knowing no sin and having to wear it? for 33 years for a people that he originally made perfect and they decided to stab him in the back as if he never existed. Can you imagine what kind of prison he must have felt to walk around in a sinful body that he never made? And we don't give the Lord enough glory. So anyway, let me make the point. He says in verse uh, 17, and unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee that thou should not eat, that eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake and sorrow shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So because Adam was made for the earth and he was king over the earth as the son of God, that because he fell, all of creation ended up corrupted. So we don't understand the place that God put us in, that we were truly supposed to have dominion over everything. Now you got people running from lions trapped in trees, having to kill them because the animals won't obey. But you see where we were? Man, if a lion did get out of line, Adam could have said, stop, sit, <laughs> you know, and do what I'm telling you to do. But look at man today, afraid of the animals that he was supposed to have dominion over. Let me make the point. He says, thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So thorns and thistles is sin, guys. People want to know where all these diseases and things come from. They come from sin. You see, this is what man is subject to, the obstacles, the things that we've got to fight through, the brand new nature that the devil gave us, the new appetite that was put in man that he knew not. These are the things that we fight through daily. This is the curse that we live through. Even when we're born again, we've got to be brought to the place of integers. By the time you and I find Christ, we're probably already in negative infinity, negative 40,000, okay? But when we find Christ, he doesn't just start you from zero. He brings you back through those negative integers to bring you to the positive. Why does he have to do that? Because mathematics are true. <laughs> Mathematic calculations are right. You did this to yourself. 
Now, God's got to undo what you did. Because some people say, Lord, why don't you just fix me? Take it all away. You wouldn't understand it. Just how a child has to grow to become a man or woman is exactly how God's got to take us from that phase of being born again and made right. Too many people are jumping the gun, wanting to be more than they are. Go through the process of the spirit and let your creator make you whole. Why? Because if you try and skip over things, you're going to have trouble. I speak from experience. Look at verse 19. And in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. But out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So you see, that's sad. I mean, this is how you went from having everything to now being subject to death. Henry Gruber said he had a vision of heaven. And he said that you don't pluck fruit in the kingdom of heaven. You stick out your hand and the tree will drop down the fruit. I think that's an amazing thing to even think about because we don't think about how we pluck fruit. You know, you just snatch it off the tree, you know, like as if it's for you. I mean, of course it is, but it's just something how now the trees, now the ground won't even produce of its own. The garden was self-sustaining through the river that flowed from God. But now the ground is not going to obey you. So now you've got to work for a living just to have everything that you want. Work is a curse. That's not a part of God's original plan. They had it made. I mean, and I know a lot of people don't like the first book of Adam and Eve and they call it, you know, you know, a, a, an apostate book or whatever. You know, I read it and I felt like the spirit of God spoke to me through it. You know, because everything that was said in it had so much to do with the Bible. It didn't take anything from the word of God. There were so many points brought forward. And you know what it also did? It taught you something about the nature of Satan. What they went through even before uh, Cain and Abel came. Is it true? I don't know. But I tell you what, it spoke to my spirit and it backed up scripture. But I mean, this was such a bad point that that book actually spoke about how Cain, uh, Adam and Eve, you know, Adam was so distraught with what he did. There's there's one uh, verse in there. I don't want to call it a verse because it's not scripture, but there was a part where Adam said, you know, at one point I could look into the heaven and see God and now I've got nothing. So he was like pressuring Eve to feel even worse than she already felt. I mean, there's just, there's, there's so much to it, but I don't want to go there. I know people are going to call me a heretic for it, but if you look at this, God had to drive them out of the garden. He placed cherubim on both sides of the garden to make sure that they would not come back because God was not going to lose the garden at the expense of fallen, disobedient man. This was a place of pleasure. This was a place of delight in God. Now that there's sin in the camp, they had to move out. And the more I look at this story, that wasn't so bad. That was bad because that was the creation not doing what it was supposed to. But you know what God also did? He moved them out so that they wouldn't live in, live forever and keep plucking from the tree of life because that's not what God made. Do you understand if he left us where we were, they would have been eaten and they would have just been beasts living for eternity. But God had to drive them out to bring forward his plan of redemption because they were no longer what God made. Death was the best thing that ever happened to man after he fell. Yes, the creation was a beautiful thing. To look at it just makes you imagine, man, the awe of God. 
But the redemption is what we're gonna go into was more special than even that. Because while we were yet sinners, he loved us. Can you imagine what we did to ourselves and what he saw and said, I'm gonna make this right. Don't get me wrong, he was angry. Don't get me wrong, God was hurt, but God also knew I've got a plan. And when you think about our creator, the son of God, which was Jesus Christ that said, you know, I'm going to do this. That makes you love God even more. God made himself as love as you and I just to reach us. You don't know anybody like that in history and you never will. A love for a parent to their child is not even close to what the Messiah did for you and I. So let's get in. I want to read something get to you guys too real quick. This is a book called Cosmic Codes by Chuck Messler. Chuck Messler is a really good um, you know, Bible historian and he knows a lot of apologetics, but his flaw is he believes in the rapture. Okay, the pre-tribulation rapture. He believes in that. You know, he doesn't believe Christians are going to go through. That's one of his flaws. So what do I do? I eat the meat and I spit out the bones. Okay, okay, Chuck. Thank you. Thank you. Now we've gone this far. That's it. But he brought up a point here and from pages 73 of this book to 75 that what the name Seth meant, Enosh, uh, Kenan, Mahalahel, Mahalahel, I think. Uh, Jared, Enoch, and all those in Genesis 5, what their names truly mean. So I don't have time to get in that and read because we've already gone through a lot and we want to get to the redemption, but it means, because Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal or man, like mortal man, Kenan means, or Canaan means sorrow, Mahalael means the blessed God, Jared means uh, come uh, shall come down. Enoch means teaching or dedicated. Uh, Methuselah means his death shall bring. And then there's a Lamech that means uh, the despairing and Noah means rest. Okay, so when you put this all together, this was a work he did. So I can't take credit for it ourselves, but this also tells us about the redemption. Look at this, that's remarkable. He says man is appointed, he's putting it together. Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest. So in other words, even after the fall, every single person was named, okay, to have something to do with the redemption of Jesus Christ. And he makes a point down here. He says, here's a summary of God's plan of redemption. Uh, hitting, hitting here, uh, within the genealogy of Genesis 5. He says, you will never convince me that a group of Jewish rabbis deliberately contrived to hide the Christian gospel right here in the genealogy within their venerated Torah. So as you can see, God always knew that Jesus Christ was going to come. This is just one of the many mysteries and how rich God's word is, that he always had a plan and he named them according to that plan. Because like Noah, when we have reached God in his fullness, we enter into our rest. Man, this is a beautiful thing about the story of redemption. So let's go to Jeremiah 18. And we're going to talk about the redemption of our Lord and our God.
Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 18. We're going to begin at verse 1. Now, it's no secret to anybody that the children of Israel, along, you know, they were definitely the children of Adam because they did not obey God. They're very much like a lot of us in church today. You know, God tries to pull us to do what's right, but every time he finds his church, sometimes we're laying around with the harlot. So what does he do? He has to buy us back. But Jeremiah 18 talks about the plan that even God has for Israel. Now, you know, as the church, by adoption, we are partakers of the benefit that he originally had for Israel. But look at Jeremiah 18 in verse one. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. So the Lord told Jeremiah to go down to this potter's house. The potter's working on something, but God is gonna give Jeremiah understanding, excuse me, of his creation and what had happened with even Israel. So he says in verse four, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. So you know that this is speaking of Adam, which was the first vessel that ended up being marred, not because it was God's plan, but you see the first plan messed up. So what God came to do was make another vessel. Now, some people can say, yeah, well, another vessel doesn't really sound like redemption. Of course it does, because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. So he is dealing with the same vessel, but he's making the point that, yeah, this thing was busted up pretty good, but now I'm making a second one because I'm from the first. So this is awesome. Look at verse five. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a nation I pluck up and I pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Now God doesn't have evil. This is another word for evil. That speaking of God means to destroy them for their unrighteousness. Yes, Deborah. One thing I just want to point out is um, in Genesis, when we're reading um, mm -hmm. in verse chapter two, mm -hmm. when he made man and formed him from the dust, mm -hmm. so it's like even in the beginning, he made it like the clay. Like yeah. clay. Yeah. It was forming dust. Absolutely. Building Adam. So mm -hmm. uh, That's just a great there. thing, though, when you think about that, that he was able to just do that, you know, just to take him and make him. Turn this thing off, man. It is like just too much. But anyway, um, so he says if they repent of their evil, that he will turn them from their evil. And he won't do what he, you know, wants to do. Now, some people will say, man, is God that angry? God is angry with sin every day. Okay, God wants us to make it right. Now, some people can say, well, why not? Why is God angry? Why doesn't he just love us? You gotta understand, God does love us. But if God is righteous, you know what I'm saying? When you're holy, it's just like this. If you love kids, do you like abortion? Okay. So if, if just hearing about abortion makes you angry, 
denounce God's righteousness towards evil. So we gotta understand God's nature. He hates sin. And the only way he could redeem us is he has to hate sin. If he had tolerance for sin, why redeem you? I'll just leave you half good and half bad. And you know, I'll just treat you good, even though I know you're destroyed. You're nothing like what I wanted you to be. But God didn't just make us a creation. He wanted us to be a part of his holiness. He says in verse 11, now therefore go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem saying, thus saith the Lord, behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now everyone from his evil way and I will make your ways and your doings good. Yes, um, Laura, I saw you. I was just trying to make that point. So you see, if we repent and we turn from it, God will do what he needs to do with us. Our problem is we don't repent. repent. Repent doesn't mean, Lord, forgive me for what I do. That's forgiveness. Repentance is to turn from sin and to go in the other direction. Not just to turn from it, flee from it. So that way the thoughts won't even be in your existence, in your life. Yeah, uh, Laura, sorry. So at the very beginning of the study, I was thinking of this. He died, his blood covers us, mm -hmm. therefore we're sinless. But what does blood do? When we bleed, it looks really bad, but then it heals. Mm -hmm. And so it's like it never happened. Like the horrible, icky exactly. is gone. Exactly. So he really is healing us. Mm -hmm. So it's like the only thing I thought about is sometimes you kind of see the spark. And maybe that's so we remember where we share it to others. Absolutely. This is great revelation given by Laura because you see, redemption has a lot to do with even healing. You ask yourself how the body can heal, just like that, how two broken bones can fuse together because God meant to make us whole. Now, I'm not talking about anybody who's got a medical situation so bad that they can't walk anymore. I know that Jesus made the lame walk, Jesus was able to do this through the spirit. The same creator and redeemer that the spirit of God is, is the same one today. And that's why we've got to get full so we can see the miracles of God play out in our lives because that's a direct pipeline to the Lord. That's a great point by Laura because sometimes you'll see the scar, the pain is gone, but it's a reminder. And I'm glad she said this too. The other awesome thing about Jesus Christ is when he became a man, he remained one. And when we see him in heaven, even though he's the son of God, even though he's God incarnate, you're also going to see the holes in his hands and his feet. And he's going to wear those for life. I mean, well, not for life, but forever. He will forever be a witness to what he had done for man. And what a redeemer. We don't even like somebody scratching up our cars or doing something else. And here he is wearing the scars that never had anything to do with what he originally made. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his goodness. He's got to go with the holes in his hands. I prayed that prayer one time before. Oh, you gotta have holes in your hands. Why can't you just be healed? He will forever be a witness of what he had done for us. No one will ever be able to call God a liar. The holes are in his hands and in his feet. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, but I mean, I'm just saying, man, can you even fathom such, fathom such goodness? And this is the goodness of God. Oh, 
probably need to hear it because so many people yeah. out there today who are scarred by what happened to them in their in their childhood past mm -hmm. and they're living with that anger and that bitterness today, they need to hear this mm -hmm. so they can get healed from it. Absolutely. He can take it all away. And I like how he says he doesn't make it just functional. He makes it new. And you, we all know what we were like before Jesus Christ. And we know we are miles away from there. And all you got to do is give him a try. And our Redeemer will make you whole. He's still a creator. But his redemption, I find a sweeter story than what he originally made. Because he refused to give up on it. Some people are like, man, I'm done with you. That is it. I had enough. You ever hear people say, I'm tired of being good. I don't want to be with you anymore. Who told you that you were good? But you see, this is the standard that we can hold for people. But if God were to examine us, actually, it's been your fault. <laughs> you were the problem for even going in this situation. But let's move on. Let's go to Luke chapter 19. Let's look at verse 1. Luke 19 and 1. Thank you, Jesus. The redemption is it's like it's more of an intimacy that God has with us. Mm -hmm. Because he decided not to throw us away in human beings. Mm -hmm. He heal us of all of our wrongdoing. Even after that, sometimes we still go going this way and we start going off of that way. We got like, yeah. Take that rod, like you say, crack them legs. And get you back on track. That's right. Now I think about the window. Mm -hmm. I was walking by and that window's there. I feel like I'm Satan's fault. He wants you to go window shopping. That's so right. Back in. Mm -hmm. And see, not recognizing our Lord as a Redeemer, it almost robs God in many ways of his glory because of what he did. And that's why when someone's pushing religion on you, you must keep the Sabbath and you must you know, make sure you don't eat pork and all this. Man, you fail to understand the Redeemer, okay? Because he didn't run any of that on Adam and Eve, okay? Because some people say, were well, there um, clean animals, um, you know, in Noah's day and unclean, yeah? Well, here's a bigger question. Were they there before the fall? Because you see, well, maybe a pig could have been clean at one point. Why? He had no need to be a janitor. What was he gonna clean up? God's goodness? You see what I'm saying? The original plan was to be clean. Well, let me make the point. Let's go to Luke 19. Look at verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through uh, Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see uh, Jesus, who he. Oh, and he sought to see Jesus, uh, who he was and could not for the press uh, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree uh, to see him. And he was in, and he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today, I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all murmured, saying uh, that he has gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. 
So a publican is kind of like a tax collector, kind of like, a, you know, the government leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. Well, you can say this guy worked for the government. All right. He worked for the IRS. And we all know how we feel about them. But the point is, is this man desired to see Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to come in and I'm going to see you. And the people are automatically looking. Look at this man a sinner. You see, this is self-righteousness. Look at verse eight. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I have to the I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything uh, from any man by false accusations, I restore it him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So this tells you right here that even though Zacchaeus had a bad past, Zacchaeus sought out the Lord. Zacchaeus said, hey man, I don't like who I am, but because I know who this Jesus is and I want to be with him, I'm going to restore that which was lost. Every wicked thing that I have done, I have repented. And the Lord said, because of that, salvation has come to your house. So you see redemption, is not just a, a one-sided story. Redemption also takes a willing vessel. Uh, somebody can't operate on me if I've been shot five times and I'm in the hospital room and they're trying to hold me down to perform surgery and I'm fighting them. You're not going to use that thing on me. I don't trust doctors or whatever. No, I'll be all right. How can you be healed? So you see, redemption is a two-part story. Not only is God's plan to redeem, You've got to be willing to go through the process and do what is right so that God can use you. Jesus, yes, he paid the price for us when we sinned on the cross. But now you've got to believe in that finished work. When Jesus said it is finished, do you believe it? Are you going to live your life now in accordance to what he said? Because if not, then you don't believe. And if not, he can't reach you where you are. You've got to be willing to be filled so that he can bring forth his glory in you. You know what makes people whole? It's having Jesus Christ formed in you. That's the wholeness of man. Everything else is just religious works. What'd you say, bro? That's the hope of glory. The hope of glory is Christ in you, amen. So I just wanted to bring forward that point. Let's look at, uh, let's look at Luke chapter seven, and let's look at verse 36. Yeah, redemption is beautiful. And you know, that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. We are to meet people where they are in their sin, just like Jesus Christ met us. But what we are to do is preach the life of Christ, the gospel, that they may also be made whole in Christ. See, he never changed that, be fruitful and multiply. We're looking at, you know, having babies. He's talking about babes in Christ. He's talking about carrying his life that people can be redeemed and do what? Go out and get others. What good is it that God freed you from the Pacific Ocean when you couldn't swim, only to have you take a ride from one side to the other? What about the others that are drowning in there? So you see, that selflessness and that belief in Jesus's redemption, he didn't redeem you just to be whole. He redeemed you to be whole and to preach others, and you know, preach to others that they can be made whole. It's like being in a desert, thirsting to death, and somebody's bringing you water. 
That's to, you know, bring life. So look at Luke 7, look at verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat uh, with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to me. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet uh, behind him, weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and to wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. You don't think this woman knew what redemption was? She certainly did because she was longing for it. And also she believed in the saving power of Jesus Christ. You can't get more humble than this, aside from what Jesus did. This woman saw him talking to a Pharisee. She's a sinner, you know, most likely a harlot. But she ran and saw Jesus, laid herself down crying, using her tears to wash his feet. You know what? Jesus was that precious to her. And then she took, you know how women feel about their hair. Don't touch my hair, all right? But look at how she took her hair and wiped his feet. You know what that was? Jesus was that precious to her. Do we have the same perspective as this woman? Because it even holds true today. Deliverance is for the desperate. Why you try and tell people about Jesus and you pray for him and you want him saved? That person's got to want to also be saved. They've got to understand what salvation is. Because you can preach and pray and pray, but if that person is down with their demons and they don't want to change, hey man, it's going to take divine interaction of God. God's going to, they're going to have to be on the road to Damascus and the Lord's going to have to show up and knock them off a donkey, okay, and reveal himself to them and what he wants. As you can see, Saul and Paul were two different people. They were the same man, but they had two different natures and they did two different things. One hated and persecuted and destroyed the body of Christ and the other came and gave his all to help restore it. This is redemption. Yeah, yeah, very true. So look at this. So she kissed him, look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee which was bidden, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who that, to what manner of woman uh, this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he, have, and he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Uh, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he... Uh, to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto the woman, seest thou this woman? I entered into your house. Thou gavest me no water <laughs> for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, have not ceased to kiss my feet. Can you imagine kissing? Man, those were the days of sandals, okay, which meant your feet got dirty. This woman is kissing the feet of Jesus. She never stopped. Man, this is, 
Man, let me just go on. So anyway, he says, uh, my head with oil uh, thou did not anoint, but this woman have anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is given, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he saith, and he said to the woman, thy faith have saved thee, go in peace. So can you imagine where all of society looks down on you? The Lord gave this woman purpose. The Lord lifted this woman up and he made her whole. And not only did he make her whole, he made her an example to the self-righteous Pharisee, the one that probably paid his tithes, the one that probably knew the Bible from front to back or whatever the Torah, whatever they had in front of them, the one that outwardly appeared righteous. That's not what God is looking for. God is looking for righteousness from within. He wants the inside of the vessel clean that it can house the spirit. It'll never be your righteousness before God. It'll be Jesus Christ and his righteousness. So God can't stand self-righteousness. Can you imagine this woman did this? This man's looking down on Jesus and her, and Jesus uses a harlot, a low-down woman in society to lift her up and to shame that man. Praise ye the Lord. Now, some people can say, don't you feel bad for the Pharisee? Absolutely. But you see, this little spanking he got just now was to teach him about what righteousness truly is. You can't impress God. You can't perform for God. And, and, and to offer God the works of the flesh or the works of the Old Testament is like giving God a penny for a priceless you know, masterpiece. You want to offer God something that you think is going to be good enough to serve him when we got to understand that the new covenant was worth that much more. People don't realize what they do. When the Lord says it's finished, it's finished. Do you accept the gift or do you reject it? But you know what a lot of people do? I'm going to prove my own righteousness by keeping the old Mosaic law to do what I want to do. So, yeah, I'm saved by Jesus but I want to add a little sugar on top. I want to put the cherry on there. I want to prove to the people that you see, I'm righteous by my works. When your works never made you righteous. The Bible even says that the um, that in Romans 8, that the Lord was weak. I mean, the Lord um, could not, what the Lord could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemn sin in the flesh. So as you can see, if the Lord was all it was, then there would be no need for Jesus. The Lord was great for its time, but it was only a schoolmaster. Do you accept the redemptive power of the spirit that only comes by knowing Jesus Christ? Don't put anything between you and your creator. You get into him, he'll get into you, and your mission is finished. That's what this is about. A religious person can't even hear what I just said. Oh, so you saying the Sabbath is no good. Did you realize God sanctified that day? Yeah, but did you realize that Jesus said 2,000 years later, 4,000 years later, I am Lord of the Sabbath? You see, this is what it's all about. 
Redemption is greater than creation. Redemption is greater than creation. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> I don't mean to get excited, but you know, let's look, uh, you guys remember John 8. Remember John 8 with the woman that was caught in adultery? Remember what happened to her? Those people, they caught her in the act and they, they said, the Lord said that this woman needs to be condemned. It's funny how they brought the woman, but they never brought the man. You see self-righteousness? They tried to be righteous, but they were partial. You can't commit adultery alone. <laughs> Where's the man? You see, but this is how these people were. But Jesus, I believe, you know, two things that were written with the finger of God, you know, and one was the law of Moses up on Mount Sinai. And then there was, um, you know, what was written in, um, in uh, Daniel chapter five about being weighed, being measured. And now that the Persians were coming to take them over. But you see, I believe when Jesus wrote down in the sand, I believe that he wrote the 10 commandments. And I believe that's why he looked up and said to them, okay, he that is without sin, cast the first stone. You know, because he would have been the only one standing there once everybody else was butchered. But he made that woman understand, woman, you're not righteous and you never were aside from me. But you know what else? You're not the only sinner in town. You got caught. These men appear to be righteous. But you see, when the time came to deal, did they have the goods? Are you sinless? Because I know your heart. I'm God here in the flesh looking at you. Are you sinless? And then by all means, do what is righteous and what the Lord Moses said. And they couldn't do it. You know why? Because they had sin in their own lives. He turned to that woman, woman, where are thou accusers? And she says, any man accused thee? She said, no man, Lord, or, or condemn thee. And he said, go and sin no more. He didn't just say go. He didn't just say, they're lying. Get your hands off of her. Let her go. No, his plan for redemption back then is the same today, that you have to go with the Lord and, and let him deal with your sin. Turn away from sin. You know what I'm realizing too? There's nothing stronger than your will. When you say you can't do it, that is an outright lie. When you were in sin, when you wanted to live a sinful life, you found a way to sneak out of the house. You found a way with no bus fare to go and see that girl so you can fornicate with her all night. You found a way to get the money to go to the club and drink yourself into a coma. So, you know, there's nothing stronger than your will. Even the Gadarene demoniac in Mark chapter five that had 2000 plus demons in his body had enough desperation in him to throw himself before the Lord that the Lord can redeem him. And what did the Lord do when they saw that legion or that man again? He was whole, he was, he clothed and in his, and in his right mind. Only Jesus can do a thing like that for you and I. We've got to trust the living God and do what he says. So when people say, I can't stop drinking, I can't stop smoking, I can't stop doing this, you're a liar, okay? Because if you put your trust in the Lord, he will change you and redeem you. Sarah was an alcoholic. I'm sorry to throw your business out there. I was a fornicator. Okay, fornicator, liar. You know, I, I in my life, aborted my own child. You're looking at a murderer here, folks. 
but not anymore because I have given my life to Jesus Christ. And I'm sick of people trying to down him, saying there's nothing you can do about it when all he's ever done was redeem man. His whole plan from the beginning was to redeem man. You better put your trust in him, okay? Because God doesn't make cripples. And when I say that, I'm speaking from a spiritual sense that God can make whole everything that has gone wrong. That's why he came and that's what we ought to understand. So when you say my sin has got me, it may, but I also know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he can trample every sin. If we confess them, he's faithful and just to help us to get over it. And he didn't just say, forgive your sins, man, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He said, be ye perfect for your father in heaven is perfect. For without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Our Lord holds his word above his name. If he said it, it will come to pass. Look at the prophecies in this Bible already been fulfilled and look at the ones that are coming to pass today. You know why? Because our Lord said that it would be and that's exactly what will come to pass. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're a, a, a homosexual, if you're a pedophile, no matter what filth you've done in your life, God can get you past it. He's done it and he will continue to do it because that's who he is. Romans five, guys, I'm not gonna go much longer. I believe, you know, we're making the point here. He's always been the solution. Oh, God is good. If only we would trust him. That's all we got to do. He said it. He's already done the work. All we got to do is let him do it to us. That's already been put in play. I just had a moment. Forgive me, guys, but... Thank you. Thank you, Lord. What's that? We're all having those moments. Oh, man, forget it. He pierces you right in the heart. Amen. All right, let's look at uh, Romans 5. Let's look at verse 1. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, uh, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope in the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in the tribulations also, 
knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So as you can see, our trials and what we go through are only meant to give us these fruit. It's only meant to take us through tribulation. It's just like we talked about in times past, the caterpillar, how he struggles in the cocoon to be set free. But if you were to cut the cocoon and let the, cat let the butterfly out, he's gonna flap around and die because the strength it takes to get out of the cocoon is what it takes to fly the rest of your days. God didn't make weak people. He puts us through trials. You won't know what a marriage is unless it goes through trials. You don't know what you love unless conditions come that are able to make us get through it and to be able to endure. How do you know you love unconditionally? You don't. That's something that you find out. You can say in your heart you love unconditionally, but what happens when someone betrays you and breaks your heart? So you see, God takes us through trials because he wants us to be able to endure. That's who God is. So look at verse five, he says, and hope maketh us and maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see that? For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps or peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. So not only did he die for an unrighteous man, because you know, a lot of us, we can get carried away. We'll hear a story on the news. This man was a child molester. And our first thing is, fry him. You know, send him to the electric chair and let him pay. But you see, if that's the case, we all should be sitting in that electric chair. I'm not saying God shouldn't punish evil, but what is a pedophile other than another person needing salvation? You know, so that's the point. But people wouldn't even die for a good man. People would dare to die, but imagine dying for the worst possible thing on earth. That's what Satan made, and that's what God came to redeem. So he says, uh, in verse eight, he says, but God commendeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, shall, uh, we shall be saved by his life. So not only did he die a brutal death for us, but because of the life that he lived, he was able to redeem you and I. Man, what, a, what an awesome God. Look at verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, you know who that is, that's Adam, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. But until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed but when there is no law. And this is true. You know, in other words, a lot of people think that by knowing the law, it takes away sin, but that's not true. Because you see, the education system, you know, tries to push that, if we educate kids about sex, 
that somehow they'll, uh, they'll either have safe sex or they won't do it. So you can't tell young kids, here's how you do it, but make sure you don't. What did you do? You just opened their understanding to sin. And what is that gonna do? It's gonna draw more of it out. So as you can see, law brings forth sin. When Paul talked about that, um, what did he say? That he he thought that he was living righteous, but when um, the law re when the law was spoken, sin revived in him, and he died. There is a fallen nature in fallen man that when someone tells you don't do it, you've got to go and see by experience. Someone will say, "Hey man, this is bad," and you know what your nature will do? I'm going to try it anyway. You see this with kids. If you ever see when you tell a kid, "Don't stick your finger in that socket," you know, and the kid will go and do it. Don't do it. Now you just set up a law. Don't do it. So the child may cry, but when you're not looking, you see, that's the fallen nature of man, that he just has a will to sin simply because you said not to. Jesus Christ comes to change the nature so that it's not even a part of you to disobey God. And that's why when the Holy Ghost is living in you and governing you, you can try to go back to certain sin and you won't be able to. You'll have a gut-wrenching, you know, the Holy Ghost, why did you, you better not. You better not do that. All right, so should I tell them maybe? No, don't even call them, okay? You go and spend time before me and separate yourself from that. The spirit of God, when it governs your life, he works on your conscience that you will know that God is, is building something in you that is like him. And you're going to feel like God when you give God time and you're full of him. So he says, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned. After the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. But if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was uh, by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one uh, to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. So, you know, the free gift, just because it's a gift doesn't mean you're not going to struggle and have problems. You're going to go through that. But that's what the grace period is for. And we didn't come into this world knowing how to walk and talk and understand all things. We're not going to have that even when we come to Christ. You've got to be born again in the process of learning to walk and talk and understand. That's what grace is for. And I'm not going to kid anybody and just talk about, you know, grace, we better understand the importance of it. Because you see, I mean, you know, when grace is up, we're going back to the law. When we stand before the judgment seat of God, he's going to ask everybody or, or check out the deeds that were done in their mortal bodies. Why did you do this? Why didn't you take my gift? Why didn't you obey my word that I gave you? You see, and these are things that we're going to be accountable for. One man that saw the judgment said that life itself, your life holds you by the hand when you stand before God. So you can't tell God you didn't do something. 
your life, the video is going to be playing right there in front of you saying, yes, you did. On March 4th, 2014, he entered into the house with dark shades and he fornicated all night. You can't lie to God. So we may as well give it all to him that he can deal with this. Because I'm not just preaching redemption. Redemption is that much more sweet also because of the wrath of God. If you don't want to deal with God's wrath, you better understand grace. You better understand redemption. You better understand privilege. Because without it, guys, we are lost. So this time period for us is to get to know God. And you know what? Hell is going to be there regardless. Okay? The question is, did you believe on Jesus Christ so that you won't go? That's already been set up. But we've got to get to the place of, Lord, I hear you. I believe you. And I want to live according to your will. Because the Bible tells us there is none righteous. No, not one. In most cases, when you approach a sinner with the sin of his life, what does he tell you? Well, I'm a good person. Says who? Have you ever lied before? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever fornicated? Have you ever, you know, had wicked thoughts towards another? Well, that qualifies you for hell because Adam and Eve weren't made with those thoughts. That's something that they believed a lie of the devil and he brought it to pass. So you see, a lot of people will say, I'm a good person. The first thing we got to understand as fallen man is that, you know, what good is? Good is God. Good is Jesus Christ. That's why he came. That's goodness. Because aside from God, you've got no goodness. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Our righteousness before God is as filthy rags. You know what that word is in Hebrew? That's a used sanitary napkin. That's a menstrual cloth, guys. All right, you can take it that far. That's what our righteousness is before God. Don't you want to get to the place of being what God says? Aren't you tired of pretending? Aren't you tired of being lukewarm? Aren't you tired of being strong and then weak? Aren't you tired of you know being courageous for the Lord and then afraid? Jesus Christ can take all those things away. You don't have to pretend. His goal is to make you be. He wants you to be what he created. No, he said, I read that part. Okay, so I want to go to one more place, guys. And um, because I don't want to waste a lot of time. I want to go to uh, Luke chapter 15. I was going to listen to um, play a video of Lennon Ravenhill, but I wasn't led by the spirit to do it. And you guys know, if you ever listen to Lennon Ravenhill, Mm -hmm. man, he'll sober you up quick. Because that's a man that's been touched by God. That's one thing, man. Give me the fire and brimstone. Give me the gospel. Yes. Tell me about the love of the Lord. But also tell me what dangers await me. Why? So I can get it right. Would you guys call me a friend if you got your headphones on crossing the street and there's a truck coming down here 70 miles an hour and I see the truck and I won't call out to any of you and tell you, man, get out of the street. The truck is coming. Would I be a friend to you? Oh, I don't want to disturb their music. You know, I don't want to scare them. Are you kidding me? I'll be afraid, but I'll live to see another day. That's what the gospel is about. That's the good news. That though Adam messed up and we are products of the serpent seed, that Jesus Christ came to redeem us, that we can be made right. We've got to be born again, guys. That's the plan. 
in the new life with Christ, he dictates what you do. When you didn't know him, you lived how any other man lived. But when you give your life to Jesus, you start phase two in following him to the process of full redemption. Thank you, Lord. So let's look at Luke uh, 15. And I'm gonna close out from there. Uh, in your spare time, read Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones. Colossians 2, that says that our lives are hid in Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, that tells you about the glory, you know, of, of, of Christ in you and how we were once sinners and how he came through the process to give us the mystery, which is the Holy Ghost, which links man back to God, okay? So let's look at Luke 15. Let's look at verse eight. I believe that's where it is. Yes, Luke 15, guys, and let's look at verse eight. Oh, man, is that the right place? No, that's not the right place. Let's see. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to find it. Let's look at verse 11. That's where I wanted to go. So this is uh, Luke uh, 15. Look at verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that, that, um, uh, that falleth to me, like that I inherited. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into the far country and there wasted his substance on riotous living. So what is riotous living? That's clubbing, that's banquets, you know, that's spending nights out with whores, living high. You know, I got the money, so I may as well have sin. So anyway, this is what uh, this guy did with his inheritance. Uh, where am I? Verse, verse 14, thank you. And when he had spent all there, uh, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. So let's look at this story. This guy was a privileged guy that came from a very rich dad. He had a brother. And, you know, he wanted his inheritance to do what he wanted to do with it. Okay, now, mind you, his father is the one that worked for it, that had all the money. He had everything. But the son, with a young man's understanding, wanted that inheritance to go and have fun. But you see what the father did? The father gave it to him. Why? Because God does not override your free will. God can't force you to be with him. He can tell you right from wrong, but in the end, the choice is yours. So while he's in that place, hanging out, he exhausted his funds. And now, you know, there's a great famine. This is a place that we're gonna find ourselves in many times when we have not the Lord. How many times did we think our plan for life? We were gonna go to school, we were gonna make a lot of money, we were gonna have this, we were gonna marry who we wanted and we were gonna have everything go like we planned. How many times did we make a plan for our life only to see it fail? because you're not God. How many people have broken your heart, disappointed you and walked away from you? So this guy realizes now I'm in famine, now I'm in lacking in need. I thought by spending the money I had, I had more than I thought I did. But you realize that you don't when you know not God. 
So look at, so he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. So he said, okay, well, you know, I spent a lot of money here. I'll go and find somebody and they're going to treat me good. And you know what that citizen did? Yeah, man, there's some pig slop. And I want you to go there and clean it. And when you get done, clean the dump. And by the way, I don't have a bedroom for you. So it's like, you're going to have to stay there if you want some place to stay. But you see, this is all a citizen of the world can give you and I. This young man forgot about the inheritance. He took what God gave him, his goodness, for granted. He thought that because my father treated me right, then everybody's going to treat me right. But you know something? This is the awakening point for every believer or everybody that's unsaved. When you come to the end of yourself is when you can receive salvation. As long as you've got plan B, you'll never be redeemed and you'll never get the Lord. Okay, when you come to the end of yourself is when you recognize, you know what, man, this ain't living. If this is all life has to offer, I don't want it. And God is like, I'm glad you said that because now you can see the plan that I've got for your life. So anyway, let me not tell all the story. Let me let the Bible speak. So look at verse 16. And he would fain have filled his belly uh, with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he had came to himself, he said, uh, how many hired servants of my father's uh, have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? So the God came to himself. He came to his senses. When I was with my father, man, he had servants that took care of everything. And here I am down at the pigsty. You know what the problem is? We love the world. And the Bible tells us that when we love the world, we're the enemy of God. This world is evil and everything in it. Let God bless you. Let God choose a husband and wife. Let God do the things that he needs to do with you. But when you come to yourself, you recognize, man, this world is evil. How many lying politicians do we have to vote for before you recognize that not one of them can tell you the truth? You know why? Because they are not born again. They don't fear the Lord. They don't have Jesus Christ. You've got to come to the end of man and let Christ become your head. So let me finish up the story. He says, man, and I'm down here perishing with hunger. Look at verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Uh, make me as one of thy hired servants. So this guy recognized, Lord, I'm not even good enough for you. All right. That's the right mindset that you need to have towards God. You know why? It's not so much of him pushing himself down. He's lifting the Lord up. This is how great you are. And I can't compare to you because if we thought we were something in the eyes of God or worth as much as him, what need would we have for him? That's why we got to get out of self, man. We got to see ourselves as we are. So he says, uh, look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. That's a type of repentance. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So while he was yet afar off, he wasn't even at the house yet. So what does that mean? 
His father was looking for him. Where's my son? He didn't care that his son came and spent all the money, that his son became a pig living down in the world. He's looking, where is my son? What does that mean? God had never abandoned him. All God wanted him to do was to give up of himself, repent, and come back. So the father, which is the mighty king and, you know, glorious, came to run and meet his son and kissed him. Look at this, man. <laughs> you ain't gonna find this love on this side of things. Look at verse 21. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. So the father said, I don't want this son of mine walking around with a robe with holes in it and filth. He put on the best robe. That's the Holy Ghost. This is the righteousness of God. He put on his son and put a ring on him. Yes, son, we're joined together and we won't be separated. You see, he made a commitment unto his son that he had never broken and he put shoes on his feet so he can walk the right path. 23, and it says, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they, and they began to be merry. Now his eldest son was in the field and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, thy brother is come and thy father hath killed a fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore uh, came his father. He would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. So you got one son here that's mad that God is treating his son that ran away and disobeyed him well. What's his problem? He didn't understand. Where am I? Verse 29. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress I at any time. Thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with, the, with my friends. But as soon as this, as soon as this, thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living uh, with harlots, and thou hast killed for him a fatted calf. And he said unto him, son, thou art ever with me and all that I have is done. It was meet that I should make merry and be glad. But this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. God's story, once again, is a story of redemption. He never held what the son did against him. The son repented. And that was enough for him. This is how God sees us. If we're doing wrong, man, just confess it. Lord, I want to be right. Lord, I'm a fornicator. I'm a sinner. I'm out there doing dirt on you. Lord, I don't want to sin on you anymore. I want to be right. But you've got to desire that. Don't act. Don't pretend. Don't be a hypocrite. Let the Lord meet you where you are. And please throw yourself on the mercy seat. Lord, make me what you want me to be, because only a willing vessel and a willing sacrifice are those who are accepted of God. 
He said, now we beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and not be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The same way God was waiting then, he's waiting today. Redemption is greater than sacrifice. Give all things over to the Lord. Get to the end of you and you will see the righteousness of God in you. That mountain, Mount Hood, where we are, is the same size when you walk up to it as it is when you're standing from here. What's the difference? The perspective of the one that's distant looks at it as small, but the one that's standing in front of the mountain can tell you it's that large. Draw nigh to the Lord and he will draw nigh to you. And in due time, he will lift you up as the word of God says, but you got to go through the process of wanting to be redeemed. If you believe you're good, you'll never serve the Lord. Get to the end of you and the righteousness of God and his salvation will be yours. So I just wanna say to people out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, you can give your life to Jesus Christ today. All it takes is a willing heart to repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of the sins that you have committed against him. Believe in his shed blood that he died for your sins and that he can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Get baptized, get into God's word, and, and also believe that he is the only way. The son of God is the only way to be saved, okay? And believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. He's coming back for a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. So if you give your life to the Lord, he will gladly accept you. It doesn't matter what you've done. Give it to him and he'll make it as if, just, just as if you had never sinned. So I just want to say to people out there, I love you. Give your life to Jesus Christ today while there is still time. If this uh, teaching has been a blessing to you, subscribe to the channel. If not, you've got the free will to do so. So I just want to, um, let's pray out. And then from there, I think we can close. Any volunteers for prayer tonight? All right, sounds good. Thank you, Lord. Father God, we just praise you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you can speak to us. Uh, thank you that your Holy Spirit is in building us, God. Thank you, Lord. Bring to remembrance everything that you taught us, Lord, everything that you spoke. Yes. Thank you for the fellowship, God, of, of believers, God, that we're here to bear one another's burdens, Lord, and to edify one another and exhort one another and to remind each other yes. of what has been done, you, God, what has been accomplished. Thank you for your creation, that it speaks of you always. Yes, Lord. Um, Thank you for your redemptive work that is greater than, than anything you made, God. What you did with the creation after it fell yes, um, is even greater than, than the creation in the first place, God. And we are in awe of you. Yes, um, Lord, may we be humble as that woman that came before Christ, Lord. Yes, Lord. May we lay aside self-righteousness, Lord. Yes, whether we've been in the church our whole life or whether we're just now coming to you, Father God, may we come and approach you with humility and with Thanksgiving, that you are a God that is willing to share your inheritance, whether with the son that stayed or whether with the son that left. God, you have fullness for all of us, Lord, and we're yes, thankful for what we have access to. 
Thank you, God, Jesus. we are humble before you, Lord, and we understand that your grace is without bounds, God, and that we, uh, we need to just seek you humbly, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, God, for this time. Thank you for this meeting. Help us remember this throughout the week, Father. Help yes, us to Lord. speak of this gift to others. Help us to be bold and courageous. Help us not to be double-minded, but to be single-minded, Lord, and yes, in Lord. one spirit with one Thank another you, and towards you, Father, that we may move in your spirit. Thank you, Lord. We speak your word. Yes, All right, so that's going to wrap it up for this week, guys. From Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. Guys, don't forsake your prayer closets. Pray like no other time in history. Why? Because we need to stay connected to the Lord. The more time and prayer spent with the Lord, the more we will be like him. So I just want to say I love you all. Until next time, have a good night.